Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Listen for a word from God. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord said to him, You hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and the Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My favorite comedian is a comedian that goes by the name of Dimitri Martin. I like him because he has this dry sense of humor, but also this astute observation of humanity. And also, he's a huge nerd, and I'm like, there's hope for some of us. And one of his skits, he tells the story of the second sentence. He says, if you really want to know what people think about you, it's when one person is ascribing you to another person when they don't know you. What he means by this is when person A mentions your name to person B, and person B can't quite remember who you are, person A will follow up with a descriptor sentence, with a second sentence to try to reveal who you are. So for example, he says, person A, do you know Jake from accounting? Person B, I don't, I don't think I know, I don't think I know Jake. And person A, you know the cowboy pirate, the guy who always wears a cowboy hat and has a hook hand? It's like, oh yeah, I know Jake. It's the second sentence. And I think maybe we've thought about what our second sentence is. I've been doing some thinking and I think I've, I think I've got mine here in Huntsville. It probably goes something like this. Do you know Brett Goodman? Person B, Brett, I don't, I don't think so. You know the minister at first pres that looks like he's 15? It's like, oh yeah, I know Brett. These second sentences can be physical attributes, such as young guy with glasses, the blonde girl with the ponytail, the person with the dreads, the incredibly attractive person with green eyes. 
that person who's always smiling, but it can also be personality traits. You know, the person who's always sarcastic, the one who is remarkably quiet, the one who is surprisingly witty, the one who's always hiking outdoors, the guy who's always at green bus, the girl who adamantly pitches that kale is the best food, though none of us believe it. Maybe your second sentence is your job. You know, they are the doctor. They're the lawyer who works downtown. They're the nurse. You can't really use engineer as a descriptor because that could be anyone here in Huntsville. Regardless, I think we can think of perhaps the second sentence used to describe us. But the thing is, is sometimes these second sentences pretty much every time become exhausting because they slowly over time become our identity. And if we don't conform to that second sentence assigned to us by society or friends or social class or even ourselves, we feel artificial, feel like we're being fake. We feel like we're letting someone or ourselves down. We can feel reduced to this one small, tiny aspect of who we are, a small feature of our life that we must cater to in all interactions. In our scripture, the author of Luke does not give the woman a name. Instead, he only offers the second sentence. We're given this hasty introduction in verse 11 where it says there appeared a woman. She was bent over and unable to stand up straight. This is how the woman was seen by the community and even the author. Do you know Janet? Janet, I don't think I know Janet. You know, the woman who is bent over, unable to stand up straight, being crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. Oh, yeah. I know Janet. This woman had suffered an ailment of her body and then listened as people ascribed to her why they thought it was. Maybe it's an evil spirit. Maybe it's the sin of her parents. Maybe she sinned horribly in the past. See, the thing in first century Judaism was the ability to stand erect, to stand up straight, is what defined you as human. It's what differentiated humans from animals. When you stood up straight, you were closer to heaven. You were closer to God. You were of angels. So for her to be bent over and have people describe that for her was having her humanity taken away. She was demoted from the most basic claim of being human. Instead, she would be seen closer to kin of animals, of beasts. So for 18 years, she was seen as subhuman by her society and all likelihood herself. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't refer to her in the same way as the crowd or even the author. Jesus heals her and then calls her a daughter of Abraham. Now, a major motif in Luke and in Acts is the question of who gets in, who gets to be a part of the group. 
Do Gentiles, do Pharisees, do God-fearers, do those who are impaired? And Jesus quells any sort of fear about exclusion and says to the woman, you're in. You are included. Jesus frees her not only from her physical weakness, but also from the oppression of a society that told her that she didn't belong. Jesus says, no, you're a part of the covenant people. Your identity is being a beloved child of God, dearly loved, dearly cared for. He says, you are a part of Christ's family. She has been given her true name, her true second sentence. One of my favorite authors is Ursula K. Le Guin, and she was huge for women in writing for fantasy and sci-fi. She kind of broke the doors wide open. And she writes about the power of words and the power of names. In her series, The Wizard of Earthsea, she says, for true magic consists in this, the true naming of a thing. Naming is the foundation for Ursula and the society that she creates. You can control a person or a thing or an animal if you speak their true name. And I don't think that power is limited to a fantasy book. I think we have that power today. But we claim the power of accepting our true second sentence, our true name, our true identity that we are somehow unexplainably perfectly loved and named by the creator God of the universe. God calls each one of you dear, unique, beautiful, irreplaceable, a beloved child. As spiritualist Henry Nouwen eloquently phrases this event, he says, the eyes of love have seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, as of eternal value. God welcomes you into the community, the family, and urges you to subscribe to your fullness, to your full personhood, your true identity, which is not found in what others say about you, but in what God has gifted you through grace. Let's be honest, that sounds nice and it sounds easy, but it's difficult because there are loud noises, there are loud voices around us. And that's why we need to remember that we're in a community. A community that we are in a reciprocal, symbiotic relationship, where when we forget our belovedness, we need our community to remind us. And when our community forgets, we need to remind them that our truth is found in being included and in being called and being accepted by God, which is not simply an individual reassurance, but a demand that we demonstrate that radical kindness and inclusivity to others because they and we and us are all children of Abraham, all children of God. And that's the beauty of being the church. We proclaim the gospel that there is a God that calls us into relation with God's self and with others. And we invite others into the good news that God has liberated us from the pains of insecurity, the pains of subhumanity, 
and called us good. Friends, the good news is that our true second sentence, which says we are intimately connected with the God of the universe, who gives immense hope and claims us as sons, daughters, children. God has called us forth to be included and including, accepted and to be accepting, to be believing and our true second sentence, that we are beloved children of God. Alleluia. Amen.